Welcome back, dearest, dearest diamonds, to Bridgerton Bitches. Today we review episode 3 of Queen Charlotte, Even Days, and we delight and fan flutter at those dirty little sex scenes, which we love, and share our thoughts on the under the petticoat action. Before we begin, a big thank you for everyone who listens, shares and supports this show. You can join our weekly polls on our Facebook page, Bridgerton Bitches, to take part in all the juicy gossip by the ton. Enjoy the show! This is episode three and it's called Even Days. And the very first scene we see everyone getting ready for coronation. Lumineer, or is that his name? Reynolds is his actual name. Oh, is it? I prefer Lumiere. We'll call him Lumiere because, you know, there are contrasts made between him in Beauty and the Beast. Um, Lumiere and Brimsley are talking in the morning and through their conversation we learn that Queen Charlotte and King George are not talking, they're ignoring each other. So things have turned sour since the end of episode two. Any thoughts on this scene at all? So I just want to say straight off when this series, this episode starts, before it even begins, there was a rating on the top left that said rating sex 15 and I was like yes. This is going to be the episode where there's lots of sex. So straight away, I was really excited. Mm. And then I was really disappointed because, like you say, um, they're insinuating they're not talking. Um, And I was a bit like, oh, okay, I feel like we've missed something. And I felt like that later on at the beginning of this episode. Um, But before I get there, um, we also see around this time that the door opens. And we see that the king is being kind of administered by a doctor, isn't he? Yes. So I had just something else to say before that happens, because that's a pretty big deal. And um, I just thought it was quite funny, the dialogue between Lumiere and Brimsley. So Brimsley can see that Lumiere is being a bit touchy. And he says, if you allow yourself another ride, rider, I do not care, but mind he is of the right station. And he's basically saying, look, mate, have I done something to offend you? Are you just not interested in me anymore? And I really like how Lumiere was like, no, 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 I'm just under, like, I'm just under stairs. Like, we're all good. And I just thought that was quite cute dialogue because it's like we get to see their relationship. Did did you like that? Yeah, and Brimsby is clearly jealous and he's suspecting him of having an affair and he thinks that maybe he's having an affair with somebody below stairs and it's quite cute that Lumiere was just trying to reassure him and he was like trust me nothing's going on. I love that and it draws parallels as well between George and Charlotte's relationship as well doesn't it like because Lumiere knows something and George knows something and Brimsley doesn't know what's going on and Queen Charlotte doesn't know what's going on. Um, so when he says about the whole, do you have like another rider? Suddenly, as Brimsley's walking away, the doorman opens the door, badtiming.com. And could he have opened the door any slower or any wider? And I was like, imagine him going home to his wife or husband and being like, uh, sorry, love, I got fired today. I had one simple job, which was to open and close a door. Turns out I can't even do that right. Like, he literally opens it so wide, you can see what's going on. Like, I know that that is a storytelling device, but I just feel a bit sorry for this fictional doorman because he messed up, didn't he? Like, that was a bad move. Yeah, and I kind of thought it defeated the whole point of Lumiere being on lookout. Um, and Grims- Grimsby just sees everything. And he looks yeah. really 
confused. Like, literally, right? Why isn't Lumiere standing in front of the door? And actually, it defeats the purpose of there even being a door because it opens it for so long, so wide. Hilarious. Yeah. And he tries to ask Lumiere, like, what's going on? Why is the... He recognises that he's a doctor, doesn't he? And he says, that's not even the royal physician. Why is he being looked at by a strange doctor? I missed that okay so that adds to the suspense doesn't it and then he's like you saw nothing and I was like "Ooh, hot yeah like at least come up with a random excuse yeah anything anything would have been better than what he actually ended up saying so King George needs a new team around him I think you know I think they need better like security do you do you have any other questions before we move on to the next scene no so the next scene takes us to a young Violet getting her hair done. She's in a little yellow dress, really cute, and she's getting her hair braided. And through this conversation with what I assume is her governess, we find out that Violet's mum, who um, it's basically bad mouthing um, the whole situation, you know, with people of colour being um, put into positions of advantage in society and she's saying oh mummy said that they had to go really far away to get a wife for king george um so to me that says that the ton suspect that george has problems would you agree with that yeah i don't know now because i know in the last episode i said to you that the great experiment was clearly about uh george's madness and trying to make him kind of be fixed and I realised in this episode that I was wrong and you were right. And it isn't about that. It is about uh, reunite. Well, I say reuniting, but uniting the different uh, people in the town, as in people of colour and white people. So I apologise. That brings me pleasure um, because you were quite condescending and used words like, and I quote, obviously, mm, and it was implied that it was really obvious so um I feel like you don't sound as sorry as you could do but I'll take it yeah I would take it do you know what I think is hilarious is that this whole like Bridgerton series one Bridgerton series two you're like oh they keep spoon feeding us everything like the audience are really stupid and now I'm like you're the reason why they have to spoon feed (laughs) Yeah, because I'm also wrong about something else, I think, later on, which I might get to. You're um, wrong about a lot. I know. I feel really dumb now. Good, good. Um, but yes, and then and then we kind of find out that Violet's mum is a bit racist. Well, not a bit. She is racist, isn't she? Um she's sitting in the in the lounge and she's like just because these people these people have money you know they shouldn't be able to do this and that and the other and Violet is really fair and responsible and she's like um she basically says oh all of these men went to the same school as daddy and these these men are gentlemen and do you not wonder like how does she know so much about these men and their education yeah, she comes across as really smart. Um, and no offence to future Violet, but they're making her seem like some kind of really intelligent, well-educated, kind of precocious child. Um, and she even says, oh, I'd like to get learn more mathematics and all of this. And I just, that's not really how Violet is portrayed later on. So it's kind of confused why they went down that. Don't you think? 
Yeah, I, I completely agree because I did say Young Violet almost reminds me slightly of Eloise, except Eloise only really seems to be focusing on her own plight, whereas this young Violet is really aware of like she's she's very kind of aware of society, isn't she? And do you know what else pissed me off? You know how in Harry Potter, like you know in the Harry Potter books, he was characterized by having dark hair and green eyes, and the actor that they choose has blue eyes. Sorry, Daniel, you're great, but you do have blue eyes and you know that. I was like, Violet, as an adult, has blue eyes, but this Violet has, like, dark black brown eyes. And I don't know why, but I just feel like it's such a shame because she's so started that her eyes are so beautiful and blue. And, um, yeah, I just wish that the younger Violet had that as well. Yeah, oh, that's a good spot. I didn't notice that, but I can see it now. Also, her dad reminds me of Mr. Bennett in Pride and Prejudice in the sense that he just is really quiet and lets his wife like rant about all this stuff. And it's Violet that stands up to her and he just reads his book and smiles at her like, yes, dear, whatever you say. Did that annoy you a little bit? A little bit, but I did like it then when Violet was like, isn't it true, Daddy, that they went to the same school as you? And he said, yes, princess. Yes, darling. And I was like, OK, so you're not totally absent. Like, at least you're not hiding away in an office. Like, you are spending time with your daughter, which I did quite like. But him and his wife aren't close, are they? Like, they, they don't That's seem good. to get on. And he just completely ignored her. Like, really, it's, it's for him to say, no, that's not right. But I found it weird that he just kind of, ignored her ignored the mum yeah maybe she's frustrated sexually because if he ignores her when she speaks like maybe maybe they need counseling yep need a bit of uh, couples therapy i reckon Mm. do you have any other thoughts about this scene before we move on to the next scene no the next scene is a Christmas scene and Queen Charlotte is decorating the Christmas tree and they all seem to be making out that Queen Charlotte has introduced the Christmas tree, bringing it indoors as her idea. Do we know if that is 100% accurate out of interest? Yeah, I looked, why well, I say I looked it up, it came up online and apparently it's true. OMG, I feel really bad because I always thought that Prince Albert, Queen Victoria's husband introduced the Christmas tree but really it was Queen Charlotte so now I feel bad I heard that as well but yeah but then they're both from Germany so I don't know there's a really funny scene in this bit which made me laugh I don't normally find Queen Charlotte that funny but this was brilliant so her daughters were all giggling away and she turns around and she's like girls what are you giggling at and then they're playing with the doll's house and one of them has made like a little mini uh cover for the bed she's like it looks just like our bed in queue ha 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 and then the queen smiles and says can you marry a doll's house can you embroider a child and she's basically like going off on one again about the fact they're not married and not having heirs i just thought it was brilliant it was brilliant because that's our future like we love those houses. They obviously spent a lot of time getting together and coordinating what material they're going to use to quilt. And they were so excitable and so cute. And then it was funny because she says, um, look at me. This is a queen. Look at me. I'm gorgeous. Style yourselves on me. For all you know, a lost hunter may come into the land. Oh, mummy, can we marry a lost hunter? 
of course not you're not milkmaids and I was like make up your mind love either you want a baby or you don't if they get shacked up with a lost hunter don't complain you got yourself an heir do you know what I mean yeah I, I thought that was really funny and there's also a bit where she says you are getting old and your wombs your wombs are dry and and I was like to be fair they've chosen like quite youngish actors so I mm-hmm. didn't really thought they looked that old but I feel like the the script writing is definitely better in this episode like I've definitely found it more witty and more well written in this episode than the last did, did you notice that <laughs> 100% and I don't know is it because it's light humour and there's a little bit more jostling I it was funnier and and Queen Charlotte is likeable in this mean but likeable yeah and I've also noticed later on that I've written down a few um a few things that George and Charlotte say and I just think it's definitely I'd much prefer the dialogue in this episode do you think they have a different writer for each episode because surely that would be really jarring yeah, I might look it up. Well, don't get anyone sat. Like, I can just imagine you penning an email to the director and then this poor writer getting sat because, yeah, be nice. Gosh. Yeah, be nice. Um. OK, so then it ends with Queen Charlotte despairing, looking at her Christmas trees, saying more colour, more colour. Um. And then we get the credits. Anything you want to say before we move on to the first scene after the credits? No. I love the credits. FYI, love the music, love everything about it. And I actually prefer it to the Bridgerton credits, just saying. Oh, I just I just skipped it. I don't even watch them. I mean, I skip too, but I still enjoy the little bit I hear before I skip. <laughs> and I would listen. I'm just impatient. Fair enough. So, opening scene after the credits, Lady Danbury and her husband are talking. Now, this is back in the past, and he wants her to ask the Queen Mother for them to host the first party of the season. And she's all like, nah, I don't think it's going to happen. And then he says something like, why bother going then? You can just stay here if you're not going to ask her. And then she's obviously scared that of Shaggington's so she's like no 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 I'll go I'll ask um that's all I really had to say about this scene what what, do you have anything to add uh no um and Lady Danbury does go doesn't she and she meets with Princess Augusta and basically Princess Augusta is just trying to get the information out of Lady Danbury about the Queen because she thinks she's going to give her all the goss and whilst they're talking they have these flashbacks don't they to George and Charlotte's coronation Mm. and uh, she's basically lying to the queen and saying oh they had a couple of strained days when they were first married but they're getting on really well and the coronation's brought them together and we see George and Charlotte throughout the coronation looking really happy don't don't we and I was like oh okay fair play um what did you want to say about this I just really like it how we have Lady Danbury just blatantly lying to the Queen and saying, yes, yes, they're getting closer, blah, blah, blah. And we do the scenes of the coronation. They do look quite happy until they go back home and Queen Charlotte says, clear the hallway. And they go in and as soon as the doors are closed, they unclasp hands, remove the crowns and walk apart. Um I really loved that. I really loved the clear Lady Danbury lying and then the actual reality. Did you like that? 
Yeah, but also I was just like, have I missed an episode? Because I felt like something was missing. There was this huge jump between the end of episode two where they've had their wedding night, they're having sex. Sorry, not their wedding night, but they're having sex. And then all of a sudden we see they they snatch their hands away at the end of the coronation and she's basically, Queen Charlotte says, I hate him. Mm-hmm. And we learn that they're not speaking. And I just thought, I actually paused and checked. I hadn't missed an episode. I 100% agree with you. They, I think that they could have dealt with this transition so much better um, because it cuts to Queen Charlotte walking around in a beautiful blue dress in the gardens of Lady Danbury. She's like, hey, him, he is so polite. He's a liar. He's a liar who lies. And I just felt like what has gone on? But then I think, are they doing it on purpose to keep us as confused as what King George might be feeling as to her change in mood? I don't think so, because he also seems to dislike her a lot. Um, And they've got this whole thing, which I quite like. So they're walking away from each other um, and they're going to retire for the evening. And she stops and says, it is an even day, which at this point, we don't know what that means. And he replies, um, we don't have to on every even day. And then they pause and one of them says, but we did agree even days. And then they kind of end up passionately tearing their clothes off in the bedroom. And I thought, oh, they've been faking it. This is what I thought. I was like, they're faking hating each other for some strange reason. But in reality, they actually do really like each other and they're having this really passionate sex scene. That's what I thought was going on. Is that what you thought at this point? I was just really confused because none of it matched up at all. So I said, because they said about the even days and then the bit that you missed, I think is important, is he says, the sooner you are with child, the sooner we can cease this performance. And then she's all like, I'm the sooner I can not look at your face. And he's like, yeah, the sooner I don't have to hear you talk. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 what the hell has happened? And then I've actually put here, the way they're reacting right now makes absolutely no sense. Um, And then this is where I was thinking that they need to, they've gone from spoon feeding us, choo-choo, here comes train, open wide, to... (laughs) Um, not explaining anything at all. I'm not a fan. And then you're right. So it cuts to them. He rips his jacket open. Forget the buttons, love. He's not. He's not feeling it. He's ripping those buttons open. He's kissing her all over, gasping. Then he goes down on her, kisses her below stairs, and it looks really passionate. And I'm just like, what is going on? Then she holds him around his neck, gasping, holding onto his neck. And then I'm just like, I'm really confused right now. This does not, I'm confused. Are they faking it? Are they, do you know what it's almost like? I don't think they're pretending to hate each other. I think that they genuinely are annoyed at each other. But when they have sex, it's like their passions take over and their love for each other becomes like to the surface. I don't know. Well, yeah, so I, I thought, oh, wow, they're faking it. And then at the end of the sex scene, we realise they're not because they just look like they don't like each other again. And this happens throughout the episode. And my question is that I was going to write a poll on is, do you think it's possible to enjoy sex with someone you don't like? Because in my mind, I personally know that I couldn't enjoy it knowing that someone didn't like me. 
Well, this is what we don't know. We don't know what they've said, because if they agreed even days, we haven't seen that conversation. So we don't actually know what either of them think of each other. Like he might, gen- they might actually love each other, but be really hurt. And that's why there's passion, because it's our only way of connecting. Um, but throughout the episode, she's saying, I hate him. He's a liar. I don't like him. And that's what it feels like definitely at least in the beginning of this episode they just don't like each other so just out of interest though what do you think do you think it's possible do you think you could enjoy sex with someone knowing they don't like you no you don't no. like them, no that's what I struggled with as well because she seemed to really enjoy the sex and yet she's saying she hates him I think that's what didn't make sense to me yeah, and also when she was like, oh, I hate him, he's a liar. I was like, I don't believe you. The way you're talking about him, it sound, you sound like a child. That's like, I don't like my best friend because they didn't give me their last sweet in a packet. Do you know what I mean? It felt really juvenile. And he actually, later on, he says, you've been behaving like a child since my first morning here. And well, that actually takes us to the next scene. Should we talk about the next yeah, scene? Say, just before this next scene, um, the sex scene that we were just talking about, it's very intense and passionate and rough. Mm. And I actually, I thought it was really hot. And I mm. think it was hotter than their first sex scene. But it's over too quickly. So just as I was like, oh, yeah, this is getting good. It was over and done. And I just want to say that throughout this episode, there are a lot of sex scenes. And I feel the same about them. Just as yeah. I think, oh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. Oh, it's finished. And it's a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But carry on. What was your next scene? The next scene is um, Queen Charlotte is at the dinner table with King George at the other end. And she asked him not to breathe so loudly. And I was like, oh, what are you what are you doing? I find it really childish. And then he asked her not to talk, which I think is fair because what she's saying is mean. And then he says, what's going on? You've been acting like a child since my first morning here. Then it gets hot like wear some oven gloves hot yeah he gets up slams the table with his big sexy hands walks over goes to kiss her really close and he goes shall I leave like he whispers but not like in a weird creepy way like Voldemort way like I just did he whispers that and then she says yes and I think he looks really he kind of gets his finger under her chin and like flicks it a little bit and he looks sad and he goes to walk away and she obviously feels bad. So she grabs his arm and he moves it against her. And then I thought his face looked a little bit hurt. Like, I wish I had seen her face when he'd done that with his arm. And then she goes to kiss him. And I thought that was really sweet. And yeah, and then what I was really surprised at, and I actually laughed out loud because I thought it was so funny he spins her around and pushes her up against the table so that, like, he's behind her. And it looks like he's about to have sex with her. And there's loads of servants in the room. And the servants start looking really freaked out, like, oh, my God, what's happening? And they all start, like, trying to get out of the room as fast as they can. And I just started laughing because I was like, oh, my God, they're going to do it in front of all the servants. <laughs> yeah, maybe King George likes an audience. Um I love it how maybe they're a bit more similar than than we first thought, because the fact that both of them were OK doing that, 
Um, I kind of love it how they just don't give a beep about the manservants watching. And I like how Lumiere's looking at Brimsy like, you're going to do something, mate, or you're just going to watch. And then Brimsy's like trying to get them out of the room. Um, and then they're waiting outside the door and hearing them doing it. And then they're like, oh, do you fancy a little bit of that later? Like, because it's been a really intense day, hasn't it? Yeah, but again, what's really disappointing is they didn't, they didn't, the camera didn't go back to them. So like, you know, we love Bridgerton because we get those naughty scenes. But for the rest of that sex scene, we can just hear them, but we can't actually see what's going on. And I'm just a bit like, oh. Do you think that hearing it is hotter than seeing it in a way? No. No, we want the visuals, don't we? We want the visuals. We we got a little bit screwed over there, didn't we? Maybe it's kind of like letting our imagination take over. That's what they were going for. But again, it, I don't know if it lasted long enough for that. I don't know. Then it switches to him lying in the bar. And she... Yeah. She walks in and she says it is an even day, like she has just announced it's raining outside. And she tries to take off her dress. And this is where I learnt Lumiere's name, because the king says, leave us, Reynolds. Um, And she tries to take off her dress at the front. And he could not sound more bored. He says, just get in. Like he doesn't give a shit. And, and... I felt like he seems a bit like an a-hole, like he doesn't care for her. And I was like, whoa, this is too, I can't get my head around it because you seem so loving before. See, I picked up on a completely different vibe here. I've written it down as stoic. So he actually says, Reynolds, get out. And for me, he seems quite focused and um, what's the word, like domineering. Yeah. And as if he wants this. So it's oh. interesting we both picked up on different I thought it was quite hot how stoic he was and he was just like quite focused. And then when she tries to piddle around with her dress and he's like, just get in. It's almost like he just really wanted it, I thought. Okay, well I prefer your version, definitely. But then if we think about what happens in the rest of the scene, I'm just confused. Do you know what it is? Is I feel like I need to understand way more why each of them are acting in the way they are for this to be hot. I feel like they they really should have spent a bit of time understanding from both of their perspectives why they're both feeling this way. And then I'd be more behind it then, like, oh, it's even more frustrating. But the thing is, she gets in, she puts her hands around his neck and that seems to melt him. And then as she goes to kiss him, she like pauses and puts her mouth close to his. It's almost like because she looks like she wants him and likes him again, it softens him. Like You can see he starts to smile and it's like he relaxes. Um, and then... Oh, I, I made a joke. I was like, oh, he softens. And then I said, oh, actually, it's the opposite. He doesn't soften at all. Uh. Um, And then they have sex in the bathtub. So quick question for the polls and for you. Bathtub sex. Bathtub sex. Hot or not? I actually think that this scene is one of my favourite sex scenes of theirs. But yeah. then my complaint is that it's too quick. It's like over in like five seconds. And I'm like, oh, come on. That could have been a really good scene. And it's just, it was over too quickly. What do you think? 
Yeah. How much time would be enough for us? I don't know. Like, I feel like if they could have just gone, like, maybe 10 more seconds, I just feel like cutting them way too soon. And I think the bath time um, sex scene, for me, that could have been, like, a four out of five. And as you know, I think their wedding night sex scene for me was only, like, a two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it would have been nice to see maybe him kissing her a little bit more. You're right. There could have been more bathtub time, I think. It's so and, because it was hot. It was hot. He basically and, a little bit of a premature ejaculation problem so far um, throughout these episodes. And like, you know, let's just give him a chance. Let's see if he can last a little bit longer. We should have timed it to see. Yeah. Um, how do you tell the king of England that he comes too quickly? Maybe that's a poll. Yeah. But in the bath, literally, I've, I've written down, they look like they don't like each other afterwards again. And I'm that's, just like, this is weird. That's what I don't like, that they can be so intimate. And like, there's that lovely scene where they're like smiling and kissing. Like, because you don't have to kiss when you're having sex. If you truly don't like each other the kissing and the neck holding and the the way that she kind of like breathes into his neck. None of that's necessary. Like we've seen how Lady D gets, gets done Uh, and there's, there's none of that. So that's what's so confusing that I really didn't like it after the sex scene. He gets his hands, moves them off her and puts them to the side. Like he doesn't even want to touch her. I did not like that. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, he does that with his hands. He puts them to the sides just to say, get off. And then she kind of, then she sort of sits back. And I was like, I don't like this version of him at all. I don't like this version of either of them, if I'm honest. Okay, interesting. I didn't notice that. Mm. It just, it doesn't make sense. It then cuts to the orangery and Queen Charlotte is in a lovely pink dress and there's the man servant saying that the honeymoon's over and her and Brimsey are talking about all the things they can do together. They talk about social events and basically she finds out that the king doesn't do social events. He's like a massive introvert um, or he do, or hermit or whatever you want to call it. He does he does not want to, um, I, I shouldn't have said introvert because a lot of introverts do like hanging out, don't they, just for a short, short amount of time. But he doesn't like to go out to social events. They don't know why. And this is what I said doesn't make sense because she's trying to figure him out. She's like, what's what's wrong with him? Like, you know, he's he's tall. He smells like a man. He's he's a nice guy. And I was like, yeah, this is what doesn't make sense. You clearly like him and you care about him and you want to understand him more. So what's with your attitude? Like what's with the behavior? Yeah, I don't like that. She gets just she shuts everything down with her anger. So before they even have a chance to talk about things, she just gets angry. I find that quite frustrating. Yeah, it is frustrating. Um, and and what's, then, uh, sorry, go on. And then Brimsey says, well, maybe him not going to social events has got something to do with the doctor. And then Charlotte gets everyone out of the room and basically says, what do you mean? And he doesn't really say much else then. But um, I was going to move on to the next scene unless there's something else she wanted to mention. Yeah, so again, what annoyed me about the next scene is that they're clearly having... I'm going to sound like such a pervert now, but they've clearly been having sex. They're in bed with each other. 
but again we literally see the end where they're breaking apart <laughs> and I'm like mm-hmm. come on stop being such a tease like I want to see it yeah well especially was it episode one or two where we see a really intense sex scene between those two yeah and then basically after they finish she gets up and she says are you not well and he just goes was that not up to your standards (laughs) he actually yeah and then he says because I could have and she interrupts him what else do you think he could have done I could have yeah Oh, I didn't notice that. I yeah. could have been in a different position, Your Majesty. Because I could have lasted longer. <laughs> yes, that's what she really wants to hear. That's what I would like to hear. I want to know what he thinks he could have done to be up to scratch. I could have used the handcuffs. Yeah. But you told me not to. Interesting. We should do a poll. I could have covered you in buttons, but you don't like buttons. Thank you. I know. And, and then, then she, yeah, she basically challenges him and says, "What? why were you seeing a doctor in the cellar? And he was like, why does it matter it was in the cellar? That's where he is based, basically. And she said the cellar feels secretive, which I thought that was quite smart of her. Um, yeah. Oh, and then she repeats... She repeats that phrase that he said, doesn't she? Yeah. She says, I am, what were your words, living for the happiness or misery of a great nation? So when she says that, he starts to protest as if this has already come up in conversation before. So to me, the implication seems to be they have had a couple of rounds before episode three started, whereby she's brought it up with him what she ever had. And he's all getting as if he's all about to get annoyed again. And then she says, actually, no, I get it now. I get why you're from. I, I get why you work so much in the garden. I think we've missed a bit, Chris. Sorry. I blame you because you skip bits. Yeah, sorry. But she says that quote um, at the end of this scene. So I have skipped a little bit. Sorry, I, I wasn't reading my notes properly. Um, so she's asking him about the doctor and he's being really good at covering it up, I think, and just saying, oh, well, he wanted to check me before the coronation. And that's when she's like, hmm, well, why didn't they want to check the queen before the coronation? I'm the one that's got to have the baby. I think he's done a really good job at covering it up. Um, and then, sorry, just before she leaves, I'm pretty sure she says that quote. Uh, yes, I think you're right. And then he well, he wants to have a conversation with her about it. She says, I must believe what you tell me. And then he says, Charlotte, as if he wants to talk about it more. And she says, I must go. I have a busy day tomorrow. Um, I've got ladies in waiting to meet. And then she kind of walks out. Exactly. And again, that really annoys me because I'm like, you could really tell that I think he was ready to open up to her a little bit. And he looks kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah, I do think he looks really sad. And then it cuts to Lady Danbury and the Queen Mama asking if there are any signs that the Queen is pregnant. And basically sounds like a Lord Bute is putting pressure on the Queen Mother to find out. And again, I really think that this is where 
the great experiment is about the societal change rather than the marriage because she says a baby so basically a baby between queen charlotte a person of color and king george a white guy will seal the great experiment we cannot fail and those were her words she says a ball would help with the great experiment um and I've just then I just wrote a, a couple of words really just rubbing it in your face about how wrong you were, but that, I can leave that out. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. I apologise. You were in the wrong. I uh, sorry. Wow, I couldn't help myself. You were <laughs> right. I was in the wrong. Um, a thousand apologies. I'd like to do a poll. How sincere did Chris sound then? Um, I just not get that at all. Yeah. Well, I think this is what's different from Bridgerton. I do think there's a lot more. It is less obvious, I think. But well, no, to be honest, I did think it was quite obvious. But I just let the confidence to stand my ground last episode. So. <laughs> um, Thank you. I, I like how Lady Danbury gives the Queen Mother a bit of bants. Oh, well, you know, I really hope you'll let me have my ball because it would be quite embarrassing for you to find out that your son is expecting a child after the fact. And I was like, oh, yeah. She's blackmailing her again, which, again, I find really unrealistic. And at this point, I was just thinking, why doesn't Princess Augusta just choose a different woman to be lady-in-waiting? Like, she did have the power to do that. So part of me was just like, oh, here we go. This is so unrealistic. But fair play, it worked for this, didn't it? Yeah. And then we have to see this awful, I've just spot gross Lady D sex scene. I am like, I do not want to keep seeing these Lady and Lord Danbury sex scenes. Like it it's it ruins <laughs> it ruins the episode. It's so bad. Yeah, it's a shame. It's like um it's like she's on a sideways trampoline, isn't it? Yeah. And I was thinking they need to get a new mattress. Um, and also, what wood is that bed made out of? Because that bed is taking a hammering, and it it looks pretty sturdy. That's got to be some old English oak, no? Oak, yeah. And also, I was like, God, he's doing it so hard. Um, and she's just like this poor rag doll. And I just, yeah. thought, oh my God, why is it so rough? She must be like, it must be very uncomfortable for her. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And then she's really sweet because he lies on his back and he's basically saying they'll never accept me. You know, I'll never be as good in their eyes. And she consoles him and says, you are every bit as good as they are. And I just thought she's really kind to him. Like she's very patient and kind. Yeah, I, this really this bit really surprised me because I just assumed she didn't like him at all. Um, and I put, why does she comfort the husband? She appears to have affection for him. That really surprised me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, same. And then and then it cuts to a different scene, doesn't it? Yes, where she is basically saying to her maid, we'll send out the invitations even before she has permission from Princess Augusta. And I've just thought, wow, that's really ballsy. And then I was thinking, an invite does not a ball make. Like, she's just thinking, oh, if I send invites out, it's um, irreversible. I have to hold a ball. And I'm just like, that is a huge risk. Yeah, it is a huge. What, in that you don't think people will attend? 
And also, you know, just because you send invites out, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen. And it almost doesn't. Like Princess Augusta's counsellors are like, you need to tell Lady Danbury to withdraw her invitations. And it could have been really embarrassing. Yeah, it could have been. Well, we we do look at that later on, don't we? Like we see some of the politics that take place behind it. Um, But I thought what was quite funny is that when Coral was bathing Lady D, she says, oh, was it a a terribly awful round? And Lady Danbury says, not entirely. I planned some correspondence, so the time was useful. And what I also kind of like is that Coral has more of a voice than I've ever seen any um, lady, a, a lady assistant or lady maid, a lady's maid have. I've never seen that before and I liked it. Yeah, and I was kind of wondering what happens to Coral, because obviously we don't think she's around in the future Bridgerton series. Oh, well, maybe she is still Lady Danbury's maid, but we just don't see Lady Danbury's like in a house stuff. Maybe not. Hmm. Um. It then cuts to the future scene where you've got Mama Bridgerton and Lady Danbury, older Lady Danbury, at the church. And we find out that Mama Bridgerton is celebrating Edmund's birthday. It would have been his birthday and she's lighting him a candle. And it was sad because she was like, oh, you know, Edmund never had birthday hats. And I used to make him hats like my dad made me and he'd be really cute and he'd look really silly. And... Part of me was like, God, what happened to Edmund? Like, why didn't he get his birthday celebrated? Yeah, I just thought she meant she shared her family tradition with him because her dad used to make her little hats, which is quite cute. And I thought the acting was really good. Like the woman that plays Violet, the way she was talking and how emotional she felt. And I thought the whole scene was really good. And Lady Danbury just looks quite awkward. You know, she's awkward at, at the grief and the the feeling. Um, what did you think when she said, Violet, you are most fortunate? I mean, I understood that she was trying to say, you're fortunate to have loved because I haven't. Um, but I can understand why Violet was a bit confused. I think that she sounded bitter and jealous and that's why the way she said it came across as mean, because she could have said you are. She could have said it in a totally different way. She could have said it like, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss, but you are so fortunate that you ever had that love in the first place. That's totally different from her being like, you are so fortunate, bitch face. And then saying it again. And I was like, she's at a church in a very sensitive moment and you seem kind of bitter and then the way she strolls back like she's got a bit of sass about her I was like I get why you might be quite bitter if you never had that love and then you've got a woman there like lamenting the fact that it's not there anymore and you never had it but that wasn't very kind maybe yeah maybe the pain she was feeling and the and the bitterness and stuff I guess it overshadowed what she was trying to say I think you're right and Violet is clearly upset by it isn't she yeah yeah then we cut to the past again and it's young Violet hearing through her mum that Lady Danbury is hosting a party and Violet is wearing said hat I don't really know why we needed to see that scene 
I think I know why. And because I, I kind of saw a stupid spoiler online. Um, so I'm not going to say, but yeah, I'm not going to say anything. It's really hard to avoid spoilers. Yeah, I know. I can imagine. So you're saying that there is a reason for that, but it's not integral to the storyline now, but it will be later. Yeah, uh, not integral, but I think it's trying to tie in something else. So I, I won't give anything away. OK, OK. Um, then we cut to the ladies in waiting are listening to a little boy play piano. We overhear that his name is Mozart. Lady Danbury's there. Um, Violet's mum is there. Violet's mum is a bit of a batch. Um, she's hmm. like, oh, you know, Queen Charlotte has the absolute worst taste in music. <laughs> and Lady Danbury's like, doesn't Queen Charlotte have the nicest taste in music? Um, how did you hear about this young chap? And I was like, ooh, are Lady Danbury and Violet's mum, Lady Ledger, going to be like enemies? Because it feels like Lady Ledger is already really mean. Yeah, I've put that she's just a really stirring lady in waiting. She's stirring it. And it was really bitchy of her to be like, thank you for your invitation for the ball. So sad to miss it. And then she's like, aren't we ladies? So sad to miss it. And she's like, she's turned all the ladies in waiting against Lady Danbury because she just, because she can. And you can yeah. see Lady Danbury is thinking, ah, checkmate. I don't know what to do from here. Well, I feel like she wouldn't be saying checkmate. Lady Ledger would be saying checkmate. I got yeah, you. I think I misunderstood <laughs> how that gets used. I don't Maybe. believe she... It's all right. It's all right. If we said Lady Dan, we said, oh, she checkmated me. Maybe that's a thing. But yeah, I... you're right. Or maybe touche. Maybe Lady Dan, could have said, ah, touche. But I feel like touche is like, Kind of what you say to someone who, oh, touche, like you almost admire something that they've done, like, oh, well done you, caps off to you, you clever little thing. But Lady Ledger's just being a batch. <laughs> 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 um, but yes, basically, no, you're right. You can definitely see Lady Danbury is like, I roll, these people are going to be difficult. Um, and then Queen Charlotte is distracted by the sound of the king playing out or playing outside, walking outside. Um, and is kind of oblivious then to this chit chat, isn't she? Um, can I move on to the next scene? Because I thought it was cute. Yeah. So next scene it cuts to Queen Charlotte talking to King George and he's all like, um, this isn't an even day because they're in his bedchambers. And he walks in in his sexy little white shirt and she's like, how do you spend your days? Like, I, it seems to be unlike any other way that a king would spend his way days. And basically he says, I like science. I like farming. She calls him Farmer George. He shows how his big, masculine, muddy hands I really was hoping for a sex scene. Um, can I just say, when I was talking earlier about how I like the dialogue way more in this episode, there's this little quip they say at the beginning of the scene, which I really loved, when he obviously looks surprised to see her and he says, it is not an even day. And she replies, it is not. It is a decidedly odd day because she thinks what he's doing is odd. And I was like, that was really nicely written as a pun. 
on nice. you know their even days and I was like oh I love that and that's what I mean the writing is definitely nicer here um and then she says what are you about I just love the way they spoke back then I want to use that phrase I want to start saying to people what are you about and then what I love it continues when he says about farming yeah she says what are you about and he says farming and she looks confused and she says I am I am unclear on your words. I just thought that's such a lovely turn of phrase. I want to use that as well. Yeah. I just thought he looked really cute. He looked like a little boy trying to explain something he was doing. He just looked adorable the way he was looking at her. And he calls himself Farmer George. And he goes, I am Farmer George, just like a little boy would. It's just adorable. Um, and then what I didn't understand that, yeah, she shows, he shows her his hands, his big old manly hands. And she just looks at them and she curtsies and says something like, I will leave you. And I was like, why? Why is she leaving right now as he's opening up to her, as they're having this moment? And then she makes it really formal by curtsying and leaving. Now, what's that about? I don't know. And the way she did her little smile, it was a nice little smile. I couldn't work out what she was thinking. But then maybe it makes sense because in the next scene, it cuts to her looking at the garden. It's all green. And she says, are there any medicinal herbs in the garden? And they say just vegetables. And I'm like, what's going on? A hundred percent. And it's like you said earlier. Yeah, I used to complain that Bridgerton would really spoon feed us stuff. But you're right. With this, it's like we're missing a couple of mouthfuls along the way. And it's introducing whole new forkfuls of like completely strange food. And we've got no idea what's going on. Yeah. I don't get it. It's a shame because, again, I feel like this couple are lovely and there's a potential for us to have a far more emotional connection to understand why they're not but it's not it's frustrating me um it then cuts to lord butte speaking to the queen mama and basically saying look the wives aren't happy about lady danbury hosting the first ball they're not going to go the lords don't want to go home because their wives are being a pain in the a um and so the government's not happy Um, And the Queen Mother saying, look, I don't want to withdraw and say that Lady Danbury can't have her ball because she won't like it. And and Lord Butte pounces on that and says, well, sounds like she's, you know, one holding all the cards. And the Queen Mother says, no, I just I don't want to be taking sides. I don't want to be, you know, changing my mind, blah, blah, blah. Um, And then it says, if no one attends the ball, the great experiment will be a disaster. So quite a lot of pressure. Yeah, I was really surprised when Princess Augusta, who's supposed to be this tough matriarch who bosses Charlotte around, who's bossing everyone around, said, oh, well, I can't ask her to withdraw. She won't like it. And I was thinking, you're not supposed to give a shit whether she likes it. You're the king's mother. You're in charge. And I just felt like all of a sudden she's almost back down um, to Lady Danbury. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. But is it because she sees Lady Danbury as her only lifeline to her son and daughter-in-law? But she's making herself look weak in front of her counsellors by basically saying, I'm not going to do anything that Lady Danbury doesn't like. I thought it was out of character. Yeah, yeah. 
it you're right and it, it gave away that lady danbury holds more power than she maybe really does yeah like how is she more powerful than the king's mother i just thought i don't know whether it was just a little bit of bad writing mm, mm, yeah maybe um it then cuts to Lady Danbury walking into the room with a beautiful lilac dress, telling Queen Charlotte about her party that's coming up. And Queen Charlotte's standing by the window looking at the gardens. And Queen Charlotte's saying, I don't really get why George is farming. And then all of a sudden, Lady Danbury literally gets up in her face. And even Queen Charlotte is like, whoa, what are you doing? Like, get out of my aura. Like, you're in my you're in my space. And I didn't, again, didn't like how Lady Danbury tries to present her argument. She says, you are the first of your kind. You need to consummate for a reason. You are not a simpering girl. Your focus should be on your country, our side. You hold our fates in, our, in your hands. And I was like, firstly... Just be really explicit. You are the first of your kind. Just say you are the first person of colour because you're assuming that Charlotte comes from a country as divided as England. You don't know that in Germany there are people in colour everywhere in like who are like lords and dukes. Um, you're, do you know what I mean? And it's really unfair. You know, Charlotte's come to this country and she's seeing women who are, are of colour in in positions of power like Lady Danbury and she's probably thinking that this is how it's always been she doesn't know how precarious it is do you know what I mean like I thought it was really unfair of Lady Danbury to be kind of vague and not very specific about what she's trying to say what did you think but I guess I guess it's tricky isn't it because because this is fictional and it's not real life like we know that in real life at that time, the whole of Europe would have been really white and they wouldn't have had people of colour. So this is where it becomes blurred because this is fiction. So I don't, you could be right. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm trying to say? I do. I just think it was really fair of Lady Danbury to be like, I think she was not, I think she was just too vague. Um, I don't know. I don't think I don't think people are really helping Queen Charlotte at integrating and understanding how precarious the lives of like Lady Danbury and stuff are in terms of like their her- their inheritance and stuff. Like, I think Queen- the point is is that Charlotte is aware of that because they because it's the same everywhere in the whole of Europe. And Lady Danbury is saying you're so fixated on looking at George and whether he likes you and looking at him out the window or whatever, or obsessing with your relationship. You're not thinking about the bigger picture and you're queen and that's exactly what you should be doing. So I think it's more of a wake up call to Charlotte. And I think she knows she's right, which is why she doesn't say anything and she's just silent. But I have pot Lady Danbury way out of order because she's giving the queen a lecture. And I just thought the way she spoke to her was totally unacceptable. And if I was queen... I think I'd have been very tempted to say you've overstepped the line. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah I, I, like that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. It then cuts to uh, Queen Charlotte picking an orange and there are no men around because they've all been dismissed. And when she says, why have they all been dismissed? Then Brimsey's like, well, you told me to dismiss them. You would not have a discussion. Well, what was the point of that scene? I think 
it's her for the first time understanding that as queen, her small throwaway actions actually have much larger consequences. And that's something she hasn't considered. So when she's trying to pick her own orange and there's people there to do it for her and she's finally decided she's going to do it herself, the repercussions are that those people have lost their jobs. So it's, oh. it's almost like it's getting her to realise that actually your queen, your what you think are quite small actions that you could do have much larger consequences. And that's why Lady Danbury's like, look, like all Charlotte had to do was go to a ball and all of a sudden it's it's uniting the kind of the, the different sides of the ton, if you know what I mean. So it's kind of like a life lesson. It was like a metaphor. Yeah, exactly. Well, I didn't actually know that those guys would have lost their jobs, actually. I just thought they would have been given new jobs. Yeah, I think that's what he was saying anyway, wasn't it? Because she was like, I didn't realise they would lose their positions. And it's almost like, well, you... And, and then that's why she said, oh, um, you didn't tell me. And he was like, it wasn't a discussion, didn't he? He said that mm-hmm. as if to say, you just told me you didn't... You weren't open for a discussion. Yeah. Damn. Um, the next scene is she walks into the bedroom, I believe, because it's an even day, and Brimsley and Lumiere, Lumiere, Lumiere. Oh my God! How do you say his name? Lumiere. <laughs> Lumiere. <laughs> Lumiere are standing outside, and things are obviously a little bit frosty because Lumiere's annoyed that Brimley mentioned. Brimsley mentioned the, the doctor. So Brimsley goes to touch Lumiere's hand and, and then Lumiere moves his hand away and then Brimsley looks up at him with big puppy dog eyes and then Lumiere obviously feels bad and, and then puts his hand towards Brimsley and I'm totally digging this couple. They are too cute. Did that scene remind you of anything? Yes, it reminded me of that painting scene between the Duke and Daphne. That's exactly what it reminded me of because they had little gloved hands and they went to touch really slowly and that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very cute. I liked it a lot. Um, It then cuts to Queen, Charlotte and George just finishing off, aren't they? Like they're panting. So they've obviously, we've just missed it, unfortunately. And this is what's pissing me off. Why do we only ever see the end or like the afterwards of shaggings? And I'm like, come on. Yeah, I know. It's a bit of a tease. Part of me was like, oh, if I'd known that the cameraman was focusing on the Lumiere um, and the Brimsley hand touching, if I could have done, I would have been like, oh, actually, <laughs> kind of go quickly into the bedroom and just quickly see them having a sex. <laughs> You were like, oh, it's so sweet. I love their relationship. And now you're like, actually, I'd rather see Queen, yeah, George and Charlotte shagging. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, I did want to make a note of this. So basically, she brings up the happiness and misery of a great nation again, but this time she empathises and they have a nice conversation. I think I got confused. Sorry, I thought this happened earlier. So. I think this is the second time she said this quote, which is kind of annoying. It's like, you know, when you won't let something go and it's he's just like, oh, Charlotte, when she said it again. So I got it wrong. I thought that's what happened last time, but it isn't. This is where he's like, oh, Charlotte. And then she says, no way, I get it. And then it's like 
they have a breakthrough because she's being reasonable and she's being kind and she holds his face his lovely little face looks so sad and hopeful they kiss and make up and she says no more even days and this is where I've realized he is really sweet so he reacts to her behavior in terms of the balance of power she's holding all the power because it seems to be that when she was acting like a child and shouting and not having a conversation he reacted in a, in a defensive way by making out he didn't care either but as soon as she lets down her her barriers and she's kind and loving straight away his are down as well so I feel like she's the one that kind of sets the tone for the relationship it's kind of balls in her call like almost like he's her little puppy like he loves her so much but he hasn't said it yet yeah I've yeah you're right and I've just put here finally Charlotte tries and like finally she addresses this as an adult and tries to talk it through and be calm um and then I also put he is so cute he looks like a Disney prince because he's got really dark eyes and he's really handsome he's got dark hair and he just reminds me of like I don't know a Disney prince and he's just yeah he's so cute yeah very cute very very cute um then we cut to coral and lady d prepping for the ball and lady d is wearing a lovely white dress and hairpiece and she's reassuring her husband don't worry people are gonna come um and then lord and lady ledger are the first to arrive and what i thought was really rude about lady ledger is she addresses lord danbury as agatha no is that me being oversensitive what do you mean well i thought by addressing her as agatha it's like saying you're not lady danbury you're just agatha you said she addresses lord danbury as agatha and i was like (laughs) oh my god what that's so harsh (laughs) (laughs) um no i meant lady ledger sorry um is like hi Agatha rather than hi Lady Danbury. <laughs> I get you. Okay, yeah, she's yeah, that makes sense. That seems like something she would do. Um, yeah, and she's a bitch again. Why is Lord Ledger so over familiar with um Lady Danbury? He says he mocks his wife and says, "Oh, the king is coming. That's why she's interested. Wouldn't miss it for the world." And I was like, "Ooh." You, you're a little bit, wow, you just, you're just backstabbing your wife there. And then he says, um, well done today, Danbury. I like you. Let's be friends. And I was like, what's going on? Have I missed an episode? Do they know yeah. each other or something? I thought it was way too forward and kind of creepy. Yeah, creepy. Very creepy. If he said that to me, like, oh, I like you wink let's be friends I'd be like oh god stay away from that guy hang on did he wink I want to say it was it was like the kind of thing that you'd wink to I don't know if he winked but he was creepy enough that he could have winked it just felt too much too soon didn't it Uh, 100% um Lady Augusta arrives, Lord of the Lords of Parliament arrive. I love the music that's played when they're dancing, when everyone's dancing the first song. Oh, I was going to ask you, did you recognise it's a cover from a modern song? Did you recognise it? 
No, I didn't recognise it. What's it a couple of? It's that some people get everything. Some people get nothing about that one. That is the that's the dance that Charlotte and King George dance to. But before that, before that, there's a scene where um, it, and I think it's classic music because when I did my um, Jane Austen dancing workshop, it was a classic piece of music that they played there as well. And it was as if the camera was from the ceiling position and the men were doing this funny little sidekick that I'd never seen before. And it looked really hard. And I was just thinking, imagine doing that after a glass of punch or so. Like, I'd be all over the shop. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it, it's intense, isn't it? Yeah, I'd never seen a dance like that. And then as they're dancing, Lady Danbury's worrying. She's saying, look, they're not mixing. So on one side of the room, there were all the white people. On the other side of the room were all the people of colour. And then George and Charlotte enter, don't they? Yep, and they save the day. And George looks really happy dancing with Charlotte. Yeah, I love this scene. So basically, they start dancing, really beautiful song. Lord Ledger dances with Lady Danbury. The way that George looks at Charlotte when they're dancing, I think this might be one of the best dance scenes uh, out of all of these seasons of Bridgerton 1 and 2. He looks so in love. He does a little head tilt as well, like he absolutely adores her. He just looks like he's just loving her so much. I don't think you can compare this to when Kate and Anthony were dancing dancing, and the sexual tension between them. There's no way, mate. OK, that was off the record. Just got goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah, but, exactly. this, but this was so sweet. And I love how he looked at her. And then she says, thank you. And then he says, you never have to thank me. We are a team. Are we not? Then I had then I had to press pause and then I tried to make my boyfriend watch the scene because I was like, I want you to look at me like this man looks at this lady. <laughs> what say? He would not. He would no. not watch it, or he would he not would, look at it that way. He doesn't like to encourage um, <laughs> that kind of behaviour where he thinks <laughs> men act like that. He he wants. <laughs> me to get rid of the idea and then wouldn't indulge me unfortunately oh that's sad you know what though Nat when he said when she says thank you and he says you never have to thank me I was like oh my god I would love my boyfriend to say that to me like to look at me and say you never have to thank me and I'm like oh my god I love that why do I love that so much yeah but what if he never thanked you. Your boyfriend never <laughs> thanked you. How would you feel about that? Like if you made dinner and he was just he just took it and didn't say thank you, I'd be like, um, excuse me. Exactly. And that's the thing, isn't it? Um because <laughs> when, when my boyfriend said, Oh, you know, actually in China, um, they don't you know, when he lived in China, they're like, You don't say thank you, you don't say thank you to the ones you love because it isn't a debt, it's because they love you. So you've got nothing to thank for. But I didn't like it because I'd paid for lunch and I wanted <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know, like it's nice for George to say that to Charlotte, but if Charlotte wants a thank you, I feel like she can't get one now. Maybe it just has to be used in certain situations. 
So like if someone pays for lunch, you say thank you. But if someone does something really kind, like if someone, classic example, when you have sex with someone, you don't say thank you afterwards. That would be weird. Yeah. So I think it it depends on context. Yeah. Um. What's really gross, and I've written gross again for the second time here, is at the end of the ball, um, Lord Danbury says to Lady Danbury, let us go and celebrate. And she looks mortified. And um, basically, it, the camera goes to her, bent over, and Lord Danbury is doing doggy with Lady Danbury and, like, really going to town. And I've just popped, please, no more Lady D scenes. And then as I was thinking this, I wrote, oh, my God, he's dead. Um, and I believed. Okay. Okay, let's... You did miss a bit. It was hard for me to concentrate on what you were saying because I was just I was just thinking about the bit that happens before that, which I thought was really cute. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's gross, and it is a relief that we don't have to watch those sex scenes anymore, isn't it? Because it was uncomfortable. Um, yeah. I just thought before that there was such a lovely moment with Charlotte and George talking about how amazing they both are. And George feels like with Charlotte by his side, he can do anything. He carries her to his bedchamber. Everyone's smiling. And I've put here, obviously, going to end badly, I can't bear it. And then it cuts to the frantic lovemaking on all fours. Um, and then he dies. Do you think, because when Lady Danbury goes to tell Coral, it sounds like they're talking in code. And it sounds like they might have been preparing for this for a while. Did you get that sense? Yeah, 100%. But also, I didn't really understand why. Because, you know, who's to say that he's going to die soon? Unless they knew that he had a weak heart or he was ill or something. So that's confused me. Maybe that's maybe that's why they made him look a bit older than her. Yeah. Still, it's definitely something that they've prepared for. And they've had a plan. And they even... You know, they even put on a, a play of of them finding the body and screaming and everything. And I was like, why is this necessary? I think they want to make it really obvious that she hasn't poisoned him or something. Right. OK. Um, and also, I was quite surprised about, bearing in mind, we said that she showed a little bit of affection for him earlier on in that other scene where she took him by the face and said, you were just as important. And she was really... We thought she was showing affection. She is 100% pleased he's dead. She does not look at all sad or upset. She is very, very happy. And that surprised me. Why? Because like I just said, she was showing him affection earlier on. And we, we were both like, she obviously has affection for him. Yeah. It's tricky, isn't it? Because you're right. She has some affection for him, but I guess... She must just feel so liberated that he's dead. Do you think that's why she let him have sex with her? Because she's kind of hoping eventually it's going to get too much for him. Um, I don't know, Nat, because part of me is like technically, and this is awful, but legally it was very difficult for, for a wife back then to deny sex because it was seen as the husband's right legally. But she could have come up with excuses where like, oh, I have a headache. Oh, I'm on my period. Oh, I'm ill. Um, 
she could have but she didn't seem to yeah yeah true why didn't she though I don't know it's like that was her way of keeping him sweet I'm really not sure Mm. or she's hoping he'd just wear himself out and have a heart attack Ah, it just seems like I mean that could take years and what about having babies and stuff she doesn't seem to worry about that really yeah tricky tricky um okay it then cuts to the final scene of the show I think no nearly nearly Lady Danbury invites Lady Mama Bridgerton over for tea did you think this scene was quite funny at the start um, uh, yeah, I think it's funny that Violet is basically making us realise that she's been doing everything she can to make excuses so that she doesn't have to see Lady Danbury because she's so mad at her. So she was like, oh, it was so good of you to send so many dates of your availability after I said I was busy. And it was so good of you to send a carriage to me after I told you I couldn't come because my carriage was broken. Um, I thought that was funny. Yeah. It was funny. She was like, oh, basically, you left me with no other choice. I tried to, like, fob you off and you saw right through it. And I did like that. And then Lady Danbury says, do you know why I was at the church? And Mama Bridgerton, I felt, was rather rude. And she does not care to ask. And I thought, yeah, Lady Danbury, um, Lady Bridgerton, when you were violent as a child, you were curious and interested about the world. And it suddenly seems like I know your Edmund died, but it didn't occur to you why why Lady Danbury was there. And she doesn't seem to really care either. She's kind of very dismissive in the conversation. And then Lady Danbury basically tells her, basically, I support um, a charity for orphaned girls or something out of spite for my late husband, who basically only saw girls for breeding. And that basically opens up. Mama Bridgerton's eyes to maybe what Lady Danbury was trying to say and they both get a bit emotion they get tears in their eyes and I was like I absolutely love that they're sharing real stuff now yeah but I will say I I think Mama Bridgerton was very angry and that's why she didn't she said I don't care to ask not because she's not curious because she's angry she's she feels confronted by Lady Danbury and that's why she doesn't want to be there and that's why she doesn't want to she doesn't care why she was there because she's still cross yeah okay that makes sense I thought it was it again it was nicely written again when Lady Danbury says your heart is full whilst mine starves Mm. I just thought that was a nice way of saying it like yeah your heart's full of love um you've been lucky to experience that mine starved my whole life I've never experienced it yeah, which would explain why she was bitter and frustrated when, they, like, Mama Bridgerton's there, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, it basically cuts to the Queen in the here and now asking Brimsley why my daughters didn't marry. Um, do you think that Brimsley's right, that they didn't marry because they wanted to keep the Queen company? Yeah, so I... I didn't really understand what he was saying. I don't think like he said it very clear. So that's what he's saying then, because he thought your daughters could never leave you stuck in time. I thought it was really weirdly said. Yeah. 
So he's just saying your daughters don't want to leave you alone with George. Um, I just, I yeah, I guess that it made it sound like they're saying that you are frozen in time, and they didn't want to leave you there. They want, but again, the dialogue here was really unclear. Yeah. And also, I thought, you know what, love? If you want to know why your daughter's never married, here's an idea. Go and ask them. Yeah. Conversation and just say, why don't you want to get married? Like, she's so distant from her children. Yeah. She doesn't know them. She doesn't care to know them. And I just, I don't get the impression she's a great queen. We haven't seen her govern yet, have we? But she doesn't seem like a very close mum the way she talks to them as well I don't know um yeah RJ was saying this on Facebook as well like it's uncomfortable to see in this series how distant she is from her children how uncaring um and we popped that didn't we about there was no empathy when her granddaughter died and it was uncomfortable yeah yeah she was really rude to Brimsby like maybe it was supposed to be funny but I didn't find it funny when she says Stand like stop speaking to me. Stand over there and look away from me. Um, and I, I don't know whether it was supposed to be funny, but I was like, I don't think it's funny to make him stand in a in a cold, dark room, looking out the window, away from you, whilst you sit there by the fire, drinking your tea. I think it was really rude. Like, I didn't get. I didn't get the impression it was supposed to be funny. I got the impression that she was sad and on the verge of tears. And she wanted him to stand somewhere where he couldn't see her cry. And she does look quite tearful. Yeah, I get that, that she was upset. But I think what she said, to it was just a very, she was treating him in a very mean way. Um, she could have asked him to leave the room or go and fetch her something. I just thought, you could just see him in the background standing like in semi-darkness looking at the wall. And I was like, is that how you treat people? I just didn't like it. Yeah, I don't think she is the most likable character in the world, if I'm honest with you. Um, and especially when you compare how Lady Danbury and Coral work together. And then I'm thinking, this is a man who has devoted his whole life to you. Do you not get maybe get rid of some of that coldness? And maybe I would like a little bit more. In, I don't believe you would still be as cold with a man servant that's been with you for like last 40 years as she is with him. Although that- she does. She does say one thing that I like, and she says, um, when he says, I do not know, I do not know um, the answer to your question, she says, try to know. And I think, oh, I like that. going to use that next time someone says, I don't know. Yeah. And then we get a flashback to young Charlotte again, don't we, where she wakes in the night and she sees George is awake and he's scrolling drawings on a wall he's muttering to himself so it's like oh here we go this is him having his kind of breakdown she's going to realize there's something wrong and as she gets up and calls out to him he runs out and she's kind of just following him with a lantern and one of the footmen sees what's going on she's like oh don't worry George is working go back to you know what you're doing and he runs and I'm thinking yeah he's going to go and get Lumiere um, and the next thing we know, George is naked, completely, he's always getting his ass out, this actor, completely naked in the moonlight, shouting up into the sky to Venus, isn't he? And she's looking on and Lumiere is trying desperately to get George to come back inside and put his little 
dressing gown on and Charlotte's just watching and then she takes over and she manages she, she's really good at talking him down isn't she she's like look at me I'm Venus and I'm going indoors now let's go indoors and you know it's kind of sweet the way she treats him isn't it yeah I thought she dealt with it really well I put that in my comments as well. She was obviously, she looked almost a bit disgusted and shocked at first. And then I think when Lumiere's trying to cover him up, it's something like like snaps and she kind of goes into like looking after him mode. And she's like, I'm Venus, I'm going inside now. But something about Lumiere's expression broke my heart because the way he's looking at the king to me is like, oh, he feels bad for him. Because he knows that right now King George isn't himself. But if King George, as we know him, could see himself now in front of Charlotte, this is what he wanted to avoid. This is his secret, isn't it? No, that's bad. That is what I can't handle. Because I think obviously Lumiere has probably seen this for a lifetime. And there's nothing he can do about it. And things were going so well legitimately we do have a problem because I actually don't want to watch the series anymore I don't want to watch the series honestly I thought this was the best episode lots of sex they're doing really well together I don't want to see what happens next because I can tell you he's just going to get more and more um ill and probably go through some horrific messed up treatment he's going to think she doesn't love him anymore and I just don't know if I want to see that. The thing is, Nat, I would feel that way if I felt more invested in their relationship. And I yeah. get you, you said it was really bloody sad. But because they haven't shown enough for me of them bonding and being in love, I'm not feeling that. You know, they've been hating each other this whole episode and just basically having quite animalistic sex with no emotional connection. They've had one slightly emotional, very, very brief talk where she's like, I want you for all the days, not just the even ones. And they had one dance. So to me, I'm not there yet. So I am detached enough, I think, to feel okay watching it. I know what you mean. I just don't know. It just feels a little bit too dark, a little bit too heavy. And I just like the escapism and the lightness of, say, Bridgerton, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. But at the same time as well, if, I, if I'm going to be honest, that whole scene where he was shouting to the sky and saying Venus naked and stuff in his little farm, I was like, to me, I'm not, it doesn't feel realistic to me. Like it felt a bit weird. And I don't feel like they've done a very good job at really representing his madness because it just first, it just felt like it came out of absolutely nowhere. And it just felt a bit, I just didn't feel it was realistic. So I wasn't really in the scene. I was a bit, I kept coming out of it thinking oh this isn't real if you know what I mean I know what you mean and I think this is the problem I think I think what's happened is they they haven't given us enough information to make us feel like we're involved they've they've gone too far the other way away from spoon feeding where there's too many gaps and it's and it's causing us then to feel less involved it's almost like they just need a little bit more information from his perspective. Yes. And also maybe I needed to see some more hints coming up to this big event of him being mad. I wonder, I don't like using the word mad, but you know what I mean? Like we saw one scene where he was shaking and went to the doctor and that was it. 
And then we see him drawing on the wall and shouting up at the stars. And like there was nothing leading up to it. It just it just didn't feel right. I just don't think they've shown it. I don't think they've done it very well, if I'm going to be honest. Bit of a vacuum where there's just there's too much missing. You know how originally I thought the great experiment was more to do with his illness and it actually turns out it's not. For me, I think I would have preferred it if it was about his madness and trying to cure him. It feels like there's like it's I just don't it's like all of a sudden it's a big part of the story and it wasn't before. I just don't know. I don't know how else they could have done it. It's difficult because in history, and I know this isn't historically accurate, I know they make a big point about saying it, but in the history books, actually, the beginning of their their marriage, George's so-called madness, whatever you want to call it, didn't actually manifest, did it, until a lot later. So they had a happy marriage, um, which would also explain why they have so many children as well. Whereas in in this TV show, because his onset is as soon as they get married, part of me is like confused because I'm like, well, I would like to know if they had a decent amount of time together where they were okay and they could manage it because they have like a lot of kids, don't they? I think it would have been better if they'd focused on building up their relationship to be really good, like the first few episodes and then made it but then actually, do we want to see that? Because that's actually really heartbreaking. And maybe that's why they decided not to do that. But then mm. part of me just thinks, and this is probably going to be an unpopular opinion, why pick this story? If it's this sad, why pick it? Of all the, the prequels they could have done, they could have done one about Violet and her husband. Like I think I would have liked to have seen that. Ages ago, when we watched Bridgerton, I said, why don't they do a show about the lives of... Edmund and Violet and that's kind of what I thought this was going to be about I thought we were going to see Lady Danbury and her husband Lady Violet and do you remember Lady Featherington I said they should do a show about that and they haven't and I honestly that's what I forgot to tell you that's what I was thinking that Queen Charlotte was going to be about all of them yeah I would have loved to have seen Lady Featherington like a young Lady Featherington and all the stuff she got up to it's really tricky isn't it because whatever when you pick a story that has a sad ending it's always going to make people feel weird about being invested I feel like we've gone on a little bit of a downer (laughs) yeah and is there any way that you can watch the show and I don't have to but we can still talk about it um I'm not sure about that I guess I was just sort of hoping that, like, he would be well for a while. I think what I was hoping, right, is that we'd see their tumultuous relationship maybe over a period of, like, years or something, and then we'd start to see it go bad towards the end of the season. Because it's, like, episode three, and I just do not feel at all invested yet. But maybe it's a good thing, like we said, that we're not too invested in their relationship because this would just be too devastating right now, what's going on. Is there anything you wanted to say about the end of that episode? Just that I don't want to watch the next episode. I'm just I'm just thinking that there's going to have to be a way that uh, I don't get to watch it because I just think it's going to be really sad now. I don't know. That's my prediction that the rest of the season is going to be really sad and there's not going to be much sex. That's my fear. No, it's just, yeah, I have no idea. It's not even like we can get some decent sex scenes with Edmund and Violet because Violet's a kid at this point. 
yeah. which I hadn't, I hadn't even hadn't even occurred to me that would be the, the case. Mm, no, I didn't realise the age gap was so big. Well, for those of you listening, we will do polls. So come along and join in the polls and let us know what you thought of this episode and whether you agree with us or disagree. Yeah, and if anyone else got to this episode and was like, I kind of want to leave it here before it gets worse, or was it just me being a little bit sensitive? <laughs> yeah, it'll be inter- it will be interesting to know what other pe- if other people felt that way. Yeah, as usual, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye.